Today's reading is taken from Song of Songs, chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 7. Solomon's Song of, Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Please, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you, let us hurry, let the king bring me to his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, who, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold, studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me like a sachet of mirror resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of Hannah blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be loved. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Samson and Rebecca. Well done in reading the text. Um, could I encourage you, uh, the, the texts are actually printed at the back. Um, as you can see, I put the images up there because it is a poetry and it's got, uh, it's, it's got lots and lots of images. And so the images uh, help you to read it uh, rightly. Um, but so the texts are at the back, the sermon pointers are at the back. Um, do ask for one if you want one. But let me pray for us as we start. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these words are your words crafted um, by your wisdom given to us as a gift. And Lord, we pray now that as we listen carefully to your word, that you would speak to us and change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yep. 
Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine, is the first line of the song of songs. I, normally, I would have to, I spend a good bit of time trying to move you from the, this world uh, to the text of the Bible, but I imagine, I kind of have your attention. <laughs> it, it's about, the, the song is about love, it's about sex, uh, it's about uh, uh, this desire. It could perhaps best be described as a love song. Love song, not that different from, I don't know, sung by BTS or um, Adele or many other artists out there. It describes a desire in us. It describes desire, this longing and frustration of being in love, the the hurt and its fulfillment as well. It's a whole book about a desire that many of us pretend that we don't have. (laughs) No wonder actually, throughout the history, that this book has been read allegorically. It can't be about sex. It can't be about love. It's got to be something about something. Uh, it's got to be about something holier. It's read as an extended metaphor, um, allegory for something else. One of the most fam- famous example of this is um, from Cyril of Alexandria in the 5th century who wrote, A sachet of myrrh that lies between the breasts. Well, it can't be about perfume. It can't be about attracting, uh, attraction. It must refer to, he wrote, to Christ in the soul of the believer who lies between the two great commands to love God and love one's neighbor. <laughs> and we do this because we find talk about sex uncomfortable. I mean, when you were a teenager and when you had these urges, you felt vaguely dirty, didn't you? Why? Of many different reasons. There's an influence of Plato and Gnosticism uh, that said that worldly things are bad. Natural desires are evil. It was a, theolo- a theologian calls this a warm theology, warm theology uh, from Psalm 22, verse 6. I, I, am, I am a warm and not a man. And Christians, especially the evangelical variety like us, uh, have emphasized the sinfulness of human nature, human beings, sinfulness of our desires, and so that everything that we must feel, it must be bad, it must be terrible. We are a warm, and our desires are terrible, we might say. Of course, that isn't Christian, and that's not, the, not, that's not what the psalmist is saying either. The psalmist isn't saying that he is actually a worm. He's not a worm. If God were there, if God is there, and God would say to you, no, you are a man created in my image. Uh, uh, you are being sanctified. For the Christian, we're being sanctified as human beings. Uh, we want to, uh, Irenaeus uh, has said that uh, glory of God is a man fully alive. Uh, we want to be fully alive. We want to be, live out the humanity, the humanness um, that is uh, us, and, and that, 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 that the humanness uh, with which we were created. We live in a culture that's highly sexualized, and the solution to that can't be just running away from this conversation altogether. We must face it, and we must talk about it, and we must talk about it in the church, and we must talk about it with the words that God has given us, and God has given us the Song of Songs the words that expresses the goodness of desire, this desire. So as we read this, we're not going to shy away. We're not going to run away and say this is all about something else, uh, something more spiritual. It is about love. It is about desire. It is about sex. 
It's about beauty. And we will sing uh, the beauty uh, of this desire. But because it is about how passionate and beautiful and noble is the love between husband and wife, we can't help but see a greater meaning out of it too. After all, the Bible starts out, if you remember the wedding story, wedding of Adam and Eve. God created marriage. God created sex because it was good. And the Bible ends with marriage as well. Revelation 21, it, with, uh, the Bible ends with Christ coming to claim his bride, the church. It ends with the wedding. Marriage and sex are signposts for something that is greater. So this song on another level, is about God's love for us. So we will try to do both. We'll try to read this song on both levels, on human level that expresses the beauty of the God-given desire, but also how it points to Jesus and his love for us. And just a few more notes about this song. Although sometimes it is called the Song of Solomon, but Solomon probably didn't write this song. After all, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was not a faithful man. He was not somebody that we should, uh, uh, we should find as an example. He wasn't into monogamy. It's better uh, probably to call it Song 2 or Song About Solomon, perhaps written by somebody who wants to correct uh, uh, Solomon, who wants to uh, uh, correct his biggest flaw. And also, it is poetry. It is poetry, and we should read it as such. I have a musician friend uh, who is just a highly educated man. He's a Yale grad and one PhD uh, in Columbia, but he writes songs. Uh, and I loved one of his songs, so I remember going to him and asking him, hey, what is this about? What is this line about? You know, I wanted to delve into the meaning of the song, and he looked at me and he said, well, Hugh, it's a song. <laughs> And what he meant was that, you know, he writes essays and he writes articles for a living. And if he wants to do that, he does that really well. He, if he wants to be precise about everything, he can do that. But actually he writes the song, these songs, for some other reason. He wants to do something that articles and essays cannot do. He wants to express the deepest emotions that he has. And he wants people to enter into that emotion. And that's what this song, Song of Songs, is about as well. So, you know, sometimes it'll jump from A to you know, D or E or whatever without much of a transition. He doesn't explain everything precisely. He gives us great images, and we are to just read it as such because it is poetry in that way. It's hard to explain things neatly, and it's hard to just uh, give you bullet points of what song, song of Songs is all about. So could I invite you as we start this series to go ahead and read uh, through Song of Songs this week. It doesn't take that long to read, about 20, 25 minutes um, to sit down and read it and enter into that experience of, uh, of loving and being loved and what that feels like. So I'd invite that uh, for you. But it is also a song that is millennia apart. Uh, we don't know exactly when this was, thousands of years apart from us and also many cultures apart. So we will try to be as good of a guide as we can be. So let's take a look at the first four verses. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. Well, it's love at first sight. She's smitten as she looks at this man from afar. 
Um, uh, in that culture, sometimes friends greeted each other with kisses with the nose. And, and so that's why she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Right? He, she doesn't want to be friends with this person. She doesn't want him to take her to a Bible study. She doesn't want to just hold hands. She wants him to come and kiss her. And before you think she's completely superficial, take a look at verse 3. Your name is like a perf- like perfume poured out. A name in the Hebrew context isn't just the name. It's about who he is, his reputation, his being. His name, he says, is being poured out. Apparently, people are talking about him, right? His fragrance, his name is going from him to all the communities, and the community, the people around are one, is one by him and who he is. So she is won over by him. And she exclaims, no wonder young women love you, she says. And at this point, she doesn't even just want kisses. Take a look. Verse 4, take me away with you. Let us hurry. <laughs> Let the king bring me into his chambers. In her imagination, she skipped through you know, holding hands and kisses and, you know, whatever. She's all the way into the bedroom already. She's smitten. And that's often how we feel when we fall in love, don't we? I mean, the, 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 the phrase falling in love, it, it, it implies that, that it's sort of we're helpless. We just fall into it. We don't have control over it. We're trapped by it. Uh, I don't know how you feel when you see this on the MTR. When you see a couple in the MTR hugging or kissing, how do you feel? Sometimes I think, man, just control your urges. <laughs> you know, um, I know you're in love, uh, but it's making me uncomfortable. And do you really need to make everybody here uncomfortable here? But some of you might look at it differently. One might reminisce about your youth and the passion that you used to once have. You might say, ah, there's beauty in that love, isn't there? There's strength in that passion. I was young like that once. I was passionate about my wife once like that. (laughs) Friends, if you are in a relationship or uh, marriage, our love has matured, sure. Our, our love has strengthened. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I hope our love has strengthened and matured. Um, the passion might look differently, but I hope your love has grown over time. That you still want to look at your spouse, your boyfriend and girlfriend in that way. Because there's beauty in that. There's passion and power and strength in that sort of love. And we can't uh, take our relationships for granted. We need to cultivate our relationships. And I wonder, when was the last time that you felt that sort of love for Jesus, for our God? Last time that you felt that desire for that intimacy, to be close to him, to be near him, to be loved by him in that way. And often Christians do feel like this when they first become Christian, right? They're not afraid of public display of affection when you first become Christian. They don't care if it makes you uncomfortable, the parents uncomfortable, colleagues uncomfortable. They just want to go and tell people about Jesus because they're in love with Jesus. They want everybody else to know about him. 
So they babble on. But if you've been a Christian for a while, you might not feel that way. You might feel a bit wiser about public display of affection. You, you know that actually it's not that wise to constantly talk about Jesus in every moment uh, of your life. You know that that's not that wise. But once again, how is your relationship with Jesus? Is there a longing for that intimacy to grow closer to him? in that way because that desire is an indication of our spiritual health whether we're tasting god's goodness whether we're growing in love with jesus remember god's rebuke for the church in ephesus in revelation chapter 2 yet i hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first and god tells them repent Repent and do the things that you did at first when you first turned to me. Church, are you smitten still by the love of Jesus Christ? So this woman has looked at this man from afar and her heart flutters. But uh, she takes then the initiative to come to know him. Verse 7, she asks, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock. She doesn't want, she says, want to be like a prostitute with their veiled faces by the flock waiting to be picked. She wants to know where uh, he is. And the friends, verse 4, uh, who approved of her choices in verse 4 in the most enthusiastic way, tell her where uh, he is in verse 8. He's by the tents of the shepherd down the, down the track. Follow the track. And what we see after that in verse 9 and on is the conversation between the two lovers, the man and the, uh, the, 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 the girl. But before she takes the courage to, uh, to find out where he is, uh, look how she, how she feels uh, in verse 5 and on. Right, uh, the thought that she that went through um, that that was in her mind, just as she thinks about approaching him, all the insecurities come out. These days, I think people swipe right or left. It takes no courage to ask anybody out, right? Because the app has already matched you. Uh, but you know, back in the days when you actually had to had to ask a person out, uh, you actually had to summon the courage. I remember how I felt when I first asked somebody out. I mean, I think I was like 17 or something. I wrote everything down. Yeah, I couldn't do it in person, so I, I, had, I, I called. I wrote everything down. I practiced it multiple times, and, you know, I can't even remember. You know, I picked up the phone with my heart, heart just thumping as fast, as quickly, and, and loudly as possible. I just blurted out some words. But before I did that, I did think about, would she like me? I was uh, 17, I was this Korean kid. Will she like the fact that I'm Korean? English is my second language. Do I have an accent or something? Do I dress rightly? Or am I athletic enough or handsome enough or whatever? All these insecurities came to the fore because I was about to ask her out. And take a look at verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. Verse 6, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. She confesses, she sort of sighs about the darkness of her skin. 
You see, she was a worker. She was a farmer who worked in the vineyard, and she was darkened by the sun. And that insecurity uh, comes out. She doesn't think that she's beautiful. And she then also uses that image of vineyard about herself. And this is a a recurring image throughout this uh, song. She says, because I had to take care of the vineyard, that she couldn't take care of her vineyard herself. This is how we often feel in front of those whom we love. But then, after she finds out where he is and they talk, look how gently, gently he affirms her in verse 9. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot, chariot horses. Don't use this line um, anymore. It doesn't work. <laughs> you shouldn't compare a woman to a horse, probably ever <laughs> anymore. But apparently it worked um, back then, apparently. And because, I mean, a thoroughbred horse is a, it's, it's one of the most beautiful amongst God's good creation, right? It's a beautiful uh, uh, thing. Then he compliments her cheek, uh, her neck, her necklaces and earrings, what she was, she's wearing. He compliments her in verse 15, her eyes. But then she's still insecure. And that insecurity comes out again in chapter 2, verse 1. I'm a rose of Sharon, lily of the valleys. She's not saying that she's beautiful here. She's saying she's calling herself a flower, but not a real rose, a rose of Sharon. A common rose, field rose. And she says she's a lily of the valleys. She's a common flower that you can find anywhere. A a flower nonetheless, but not, not a flower that would stop anyone in their tracks. And look how then tenderly he responds in verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. You call yourself a lily? But you're not just a common lily out there. You're a lily among thorns. You are beautiful, my darling, he says. Man, how often do you compliment your wife, your girlfriend, or even your friend? You know, it doesn't have to be creepy. Even a friend, you can compliment them. Take a look at at chapter 1, verse 10 again. You know, he's not complimenting. I mean, he compliments what she's wearing. Her earrings, her necklace. Uh, we could do that for our sisters in Christ too because, you know, we do all have this longing to be noticed. I mean, not just women, but men as well. Men dress up. Men um, take care, right? And this often doesn't, me- this doesn't mean that she was objectively beautiful, right? She, she feels that she's not beautiful, but he sees her as this lily amongst the thorns, she thinks she's common, but he sees something exceptional in her. He's, she's insecure about her dark skin, but uh, he sees her eyes, uh, beautiful, beautiful eyes like a dove, something radiant. And this is necessary. We need to do this for one another because we live in a culture that holds an impossible standard of beauty. None of us often feel very beautiful because we're constantly bombarded with images that are out there that's perfected, that's curated, that's photoshopped. And uh, most of us stare at these images more than we stare at real faces with flaws and wrinkles and, and, and darkened skin, right? No wonder so many of us feel insecure about how we look. Will you affirm each other? 
will you affirm each other? Every flower, if you stop and take a look, is beautiful. It's beautiful in its own way. And Jesus says that even uh, this flower in the field, none of them, uh, they dress better than all the splendor of Solomon, Jesus says. Love affirms gently and carefully. Of course, that is what God does for us. Dark am I. We are darkened by sin, aren't we? Maybe our sexual sins too. We often feel unlovable because of them. But God, through Jesus, affirms us. God tells us that we are beautiful in him. In my preparation, I was really helped by this commentary by Dr. Phil Riken, the, uh, the president of my alma mater at Wheaton College in the U.S. And he tells this story in the introduction of that book about this young lady. There was a revival a long time ago in the late 90s, um, uh, 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 revival at Wheaton College where uh, people, there was just a sense of God's presence. Um, and, and this, uh, th there were Sunday evening worship services that's open to all the campus and people are worshiping and this uh, person felt the presence of God and, and, and she was moved to confess her sins publicly. So at the end of the service, she went up to the mic uh, and she said that she was staring at all these faces, uh, staring at her, and the words came out of her mouth. She said, when, when we say yes to an exclusive relationship with God, we by default say no to every other lover. And then she continued, I am guilty of idols. I'm guilty of sexual sin. And then... He writes, in that moment of genuine contrition, she was overcome by the Lord's glory and sensed his love, loving mercy speaking to her broken heart. I am pleased with you and I love you. That, of course, is the gospel. When we feel darkened by sin, when we feel unloved, God through Jesus says, I love you. I am pleased with you. Love covers. Love affirms. Thank goodness. Thank God for that love. Well, this couple is embracing each other. They are in love. And we see uh, them uh, maybe embracing each other in the woods. Chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, they imagine a home together. They imagine their bedroom, their beams and rafters. Chapter 2, verse 3, she says, He is like an apple tree. Apple tree uh, in the forest, among the forest. Remember, she works outdoors. <laughs> She's darkened by the sun. She says that this tree that provides shade and provi provides sweet fruit, she finds him a person who gives her that comfort that security, uh, provision, sustenance, she has found her man. And verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. She wants to be claimed as his. She wants a grand wedding. She doesn't want this love to be a private affair. She wants the whole world to know about their relationship. She wants a home and a life with him. 
you might know, uh, if, you, if you know me, you know that one of my favorite genres of film is romantic comedy. Um, and there's a great movie called When Harry Met Sally, and at the climax of that film, Harry goes up to Sally and he says something like, um, when you found the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, I want the rest of this life to start now. And that's how she feels. I want that rest of that life now. Most of us have been there too being carried away after a first date or two. Why is it so easy to be carried away that way? Well, because in the end, that's what we all long for, don't we? We long, we don't want just a good kiss or good embrace. We want a relationship, a relationship to build our life upon, a relationship that will provide security and comfort and affection home. When we find it, we want to make our home in that relationship right then and there. And our heart longs for that, not because we are made for that relationship. The relationship with God, that security and that comfort, that provision, that affection. Jesus came to establish that relationship with each one of us to claim us as his. And remember in the Gospel of John, when he says he goes away, he will go away to prepare a home for us in his mansion. And he's given us a deposit guaranteeing what's to come, his spirit uh, within us. And he says he'll come back to, co to claim us, the church, the bride, for himself. Friends, these desires are God-given desires. They are holy, and they are good, and they are powerful. And because they are so good and so powerful, they're also dangerous, and we ought to handle it with care. I'm sure Niels will touch upon it next week uh, when he takes the second part as this line is repeated, but take a look at chapter, uh, verse 7. He ends this, uh, with this warning, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's a warning. Things that are really, really good can do great, great damage as well. It's not a surprise that a certain rabbi forbade his congregation to, from reading Song of Songs until the men in their congregation turned 30. You ought to handle it with care. And that's what we'll do in the next few weeks, in the coming month or so, as we go through Song of Songs. We'll see the beauty and the power of that love, but also know how to handle it with care. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every single word in your Bible, in the scripture, is inspired by you and speaks to us. And we pray that as we go through this series of Song of Songs, Lord, help us to, uh, would you kindle in us that, that, that desire, um, that, that desire, uh, that longing for a closer relationship with you. And we pray that that desire will also translate into a, a, a greater and better relationship with our significant ones around us. Lord, help us to be a loving community and may the best of our love for one another, uh, Lord, speak uh, the gospel to the world um, that watches us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.